and I'm your brother, Fireman Diesel Ogaya, and welcome to the Class War Battlefield Podcast. When I started this show in 2011, my goal was to inform, inform, inform. Obviously, the show has evolved, a lot of new topics, a lot of new thoughts, taking on metaphysics, some spirituality, hitting you with all types of things that you may have never heard of, and some that you have. It's always lively. But now I'm coming to you to ask you to help me prolong this podcast. For years, I have been producing this podcast for free on your behalf. I am now coming to you to ask you to support this work. whatever you can do, please do. And now, the definition. Well, let's get back to this abortion shit. Now, is a fetus a human being? This seems to be the central question. Well, if a fetus is a human being, how come the census doesn't count them? If a fetus is a human being, how come when there's a miscarriage, they don't have a funeral? If a fetus is a human being, how come people say we have two children and one on the way, instead of saying we have three children? People say life begins at conception. I say life began about a billion years ago, and it's a continuous process. (laughs) Continuous, just keeps rolling along. Rolling, rolling, rolling along. I said, you know something? Listen, you can go back further than that. What about the carbon atoms? Huh? (laughs) Human life could not exist without carbon. So is it just possible that maybe we shouldn't be burning all this coal? (laughs) Just looking for a little consistency here in these anti-abortion arguments. See, the really hardcore people will tell you life begins at fertilization. Fertilization when the sperm fertilizes the egg, which is usually a few moments after the man says, gee, honey, I was gonna out, but the phone rang and it startled me. But even after the egg is fertilized, it's still six or seven days before it reaches the uterus and pregnancy begins. And not every egg makes it that far. 80% of a woman's fertilized eggs are rinsed and flushed out of her body once a month during those delightful few days she has. (laughs) They wind up on sanitary napkins and yet they are fertilized eggs. So basically what these anti-abortion people are telling us is that any woman who's had more than one period is a serial killer. (laughs) Consistency. Consistency. Hey, hey, if they really want to get serious, what about all the sperm that are wasted when the state executes a condemned man and one of these pro-life guys who's watching comes in his pants, huh? Here's a guy standing over there with his jockey shorts full of little Vinnies and Debbies. And nobody's saying a word to that guy. Not every ejaculation deserves a name. <laughs> now, speaking of consistency, Catholics, which I was until I reached the age of reason, <laughs> Catholics, <laughs> Catholics and other Christians are against abortions and they're against homosexuals. Well, who has less abortions than homosexuals? <laughs> Leave these fucking people alone, for Christ's sakes. Here is an entire class of people guaranteed never to have an abortion. <laughs> and the Catholics and Christians are just tossing them aside. You'd think they'd make natural allies. <laughs> Go look for consistency in religion. And speaking of my friends, the Catholics, When John Cardinal O'Connor of New York and some of these other cardinals and bishops have experienced their first pregnancies and their first labor pains and they've raised a couple of children on a minimum wage, then I'll be glad to hear what they have to say about abortion. I'm sure it'll be interesting. Enlightening, too. But, but, in the meantime, what they ought to be doing is telling these priests who took a vow of chastity to keep their hands off the altar boys. You know, when Jesus said, suffer the little children, come unto me, that's not what he was talking about. So you know what I tell these anti-abortion people? I say, hey, 
Hey, if you think a fetus is more important than a woman, try getting a fetus to wash the shit stains out of your underwear. For no pay and no pension. I tell them, think of an abortion as term limits. That's all it is. Biological term limits. But you know, the longer you listen to this abortion debate, the more you hear this phrase, sanctity of life. You've heard that, sanctity of life. You believe in it? Personally, I think it's a bunch of shit. Well, I mean, life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. Has been for thousands of years. Hindus, Muslims, Jews, Christians, all taking turns killing each other because God told them it was a good idea. The sword of God, the blood of the lamb, vengeance is mine. Millions of dead Millions of dead motherfuckers, all because they gave the wrong answer to the God question. You believe in God? No. Dead. You believe in God? Yes. You believe in my God? No. Dead. My God has a bigger dick than your God. Thousands of years. Thousands of years, and all the best wars, too. The bloodiest, most brutal wars fought, all based on religious hatred, which is fine with me. Hey, anytime a bunch of holy people want to kill each other, I'm a happy guy. <laughs> but don't be giving me all this shit about the sanctity of life. I mean, even if there were such a thing, I don't think it's something you can blame on God. Now, you know where the sanctity of life came from? We made it up. You know why? Because we're alive. <laughs> Self-interest. Living people have a strong interest in promoting the idea that somehow life is sacred. You don't see Abbott and Costello running around talking about this shit, do you? We're not hearing a whole lot from Mussolini on the subject. What's the latest from JFK? Not a goddamn thing. Because JFK, Mussolini, and Abbott and Costello are fucking dead. They're fucking dead. And dead people give less than a shit about the sanctity of life. Only living people care about it, so the whole thing grows out of a completely biased point of view. It's a self-serving, man-made bullshit story. It's one of these things we tell ourselves so we'll feel noble. Life is sacred. Makes you feel noble. But let me ask you this. If everything that ever lived is dead, and everything alive is gonna die, where does the sacred part come in? I'm having trouble with that. Because, I mean, even with the stuff we preach about the sanctity of life, we don't practice it. We don't practice it. Look at what we kill. Mosquitoes and flies, because they're pests. <laughs> Lions and tigers, because it's fun. <laughs> Chickens and pigs, because we're hungry. <laughs> Pheasants and quails, because it's fun. And we're hungry. <laughs> and people, we kill people. Because they're pests. <laughs> and it's fun. I'll move to my final comments then, Mr. Chairman. I voted for the pain-capable bill, the fetal heartbeat bill, and fetal heartbeat has been for six weeks now. The second week that, this, that the fetal heartbeat bill became law, a doctor called me, out of Anderson, I live in Easley. A 19-year-old girl appeared at the ER. She was 15 weeks pregnant. Her water broke. And the, the fetus was unviable. The standard of care was to advise her uh, that they could extract or she could go home. The attorneys told the doctors that because of the fetal heartbeat bill, because that 15-week-old had a heartbeat, the doctors could not extract. So their only choices were to admit the 19-year-old until that fetal heartbeat stopped. I asked, how long does it take to stop? She said, seconds, minutes, hours, maybe days, or discharge. They discharged that 19-year-old. The doctor told me at that point, there's a 50% chance, well first, she's gonna pass this fetus in the toilet. She's gonna to have to deal with that on her own. There's a 50% chance, greater than 50% chance that she's gonna lose her uterus. There's a 10% chance that she will develop sepsis and herself die. That weighs on me. I voted for that bill. 
these are affecting people and we're having a meeting about this. It took that whole week. I did not sleep. I followed up with the doctor a week later. She had heard nothing, did not know about the 19-year-old. Thank God I followed up two weeks later. She did return to the ER. They did extract the now non-beating fetus. What we do matters. Thank you, Representative Collins. Oh, one second, Mr. Chairman. I'm almost finished. Out of respect for the process, I'm not voting today. But I want it to be clear that myself and many others are not in a position to vote for this bill without significant changes to the bill. And as Representative Newton said, if we pass this out as favorable, you'll have an opportunity on the House floor. This is Neil Collins, a Republican lawmaker in the South Carolina House of Representatives. He'd previously voted for a near-total abortion ban before realizing the real-life consequences that such a law is having, apparently unaware that laws actually impact people. Now look, I know some of you out there might be watching this and saying, look, he's figuring it out. We got to give these people some grace if they're going to come around. And generally that's a concept I agree with. If there are former Trump supporters, for example, who come around and recognize the unique threat that he poses, my job isn't to shame someone for having been wrong. It's to welcome them into this fight and expand our tent. However, these Republican officials were warned. They knew exactly what the consequences of these abortion bans would be. Three quarters of this country wailed endlessly and breathlessly about the dire consequences of enacting these bans, about the horrors of forcing rape victims to give birth to their rapist child, about the horrors of forcing insects victims to give birth to their own brothers or sisters, about the horrors of putting a woman's life in immediate danger from an ectopic pregnancy or countless other complications. I'm sorry, but I have zero fucking sympathy for these politicians who are only now recognizing that what they do is more than just an audition for Sean Hannity. Zero sympathy for these people who are only now recognizing that their partisan hackery might actually impact the lives of the people that they're supposed to serve. We are not here as observers in these people's journey of self-actualization. So when Neil Collins emotionally explains, quote, what we do matters, that might be news to that guy, but it's not news to the rest of us. And the fact that it took him personally seeing the consequences of his own actions and the torture that he wrought on some poor young woman goes to show the moral bankruptcy of these Republicans. These people who are only capable of growth or compassion or understanding when they themselves are personally impacted by it. I'll bet Collins didn't sleep that week. You know who else didn't sleep that week? The thousands of rape victims and incest victims and women with non-viable pregnancies and those who've been stripped of their bodily autonomy who are now carrying their pregnancies to term against their will. All because uneducated, ignorant, uninformed hacks like this guy cast their votes without having a clue about what the impact of their actions would be. So no, I don't plan on giving him the space he needs to realize the consequences of his actions because that space should have come before he supported a law that's putting people's lives in immediate danger. Danger. And on exactly that point, notice too how Collins says, quote, out of respect for the process, I'm not voting today. How brave that after his whole monologue, he's taking the very courageous step of still refusing to oppose this legislation because after all, we have to respect the process. Not that we have to respect women or rape victims or incest victims or those contending with non-viable pregnancies. Nope, what should be respected here is the sacrosanctity of the process. Phew, thank God we maintain the integrity in that. And in case you think that I'm being unreasonable here, recognize that the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans are with me. Americans are proving pretty damn definitively that they are not okay with Republicans thrusting their theocratic agenda onto everyone else. Just this week, Democrat Pat Ryan defeated Mark Molinaro in New York's 19th congressional district, a district that Biden won by just over a point and should have been an easy pickup for Republicans in a midterm year where the party out of power usually overperforms. Instead, Republicans lost that race definitively because that race was a referendum on exactly this point. That was one of four races since the Dobbs decision where Democrats have actually overperformed their 2020 performance by about five percentage points. And that's to say nothing of what's happened in deep red Kansas, where nearly two thirds of voters there rejected a Republican effort to strip abortion protections from the state constitution. In other words, Americans are showing, even in the reddest of states, that they do not want the agenda that Republicans are selling. So it's all well and good that a very, very small number of Republicans are realizing their mistakes, but let's be crystal clear. 
the vast majority of the GOP is still driving full speed ahead to continue stripping reproductive rights away. This is not a party that will protect you, it is a party that will serve its own theocratic views. And the only solution is to show up in numbers unlike ever before this November, strip them of their power, and send a message once and for all that your rights are non-negotiable. Now, Jim, show this gentleman how you can dance and sing. That's my attitude towards the Western powers. If you want to say there's no rules, fine. Don't go crying for your mummy when that comes. America today finds herself in a unique situation. She's the only country in history in a position to become involved in a bloodless revolution. If America does not respond creatively to the challenge to banish racism, some future historian will have to say that a great civilization died because it lacked the soul and commitment to make justice a reality for all men. When the system doesn't work for the majority of the people, you gotta change the system. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your brother, Brian Marikis. Hope down here, and welcome to this Class War Battlefield Podcast episode. If I had been publishing episodes last summer when the Supreme Court tossed out Roe v. Wade, I would have made a special episode. Why? Because I probably would have started it off laughing, hysterically. And might have even continued doing that for five minutes, uncontrollably just laughing. Well, why are you laughing? Women are being injured. That's, I'm not laughing at the fact that women are being injured. I'm laughing at the fact that white people are so dumb. History tells me that while white European American peasants have been given the gracious, the grace, no, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, gravitas, maybe, of being special compared to black Africans slaves and non-white peons throughout this country this designation this feeling has always been accompanied by both soft and hard abuse. What I mean is, if you look at labor history in this country, particularly the late 1800s, early 1900s, almost to mid-1900s, you'd see a uh, capacity by the wealthy to both give white European American peasants the ability to do everything that they want to do when it came to native indigenous people, when it came to uh, black slaves, people, black people suffering under Jim Crow, quote Latinos, to some Asians, and to the lesser white people. In exchange for that, they had to take atrocious work environment standards, which often left them mangled, maimed, torn apart, and killed. All part of industrial America's history and laissez-faire capitalism. They had to take beatings and 
terror tactics executed by hardened white folks who were hired by the capitalists to keep them in line. Some of these people were cops, which is why it's kind of funny today to see the um, chance of, you know, Blue Lives Matter from a people who a hundred years ago were being terrorized by the same folk they uh, they're, they're promoting and putting on a, on a pedestal. Some of the other people were uh, and look whereas it could be said today that not all police are bad Back then, nobody was under any delusion, man, about why the cops were in existence. Nobody, except for the really brain dead. Now, the other ones worked for, like, the Pinkertons and, and, and other companies that were just hardheads, man. They, they were brought in to break people every which way they could. It was surprising to me to even find out that this... Agencies still existed today in this country. The abuse was thorough. But for that horrible abuse, they got to take out any anger on non-white people, and they did. And they did. Fast forward to the 1960s, black people start getting some civil rights, and that arrangement wherein you'd have to suffer some capitalist horrors, but in exchange for that, you can be as violently vindictive and psychopathic as you want with these non-white people here. That arrangement was blown up. And suddenly, these white European-American peasants who had for quite some time been used to being treated better by the uh, black African slaves and the black people suffering under Jim Crow, the red man, to an extent the yellow man, woman. And if they weren't shown the proper respect, they could just go and beat them, kill them, murder them, rape their women and their children. Oh, I, and, and that's going to be something that I include a lot more now, because... It happened more than you like to know and more than you like to think. So all this talk about, you know, black people and black men being these horrible rapists and everywhere you go, you turn on the TV and the picture of a black man raping somebody is everywhere. Oh, white people. Why do you need me to be your Negro? I believe Baldwin asked. You need me to be the face of criminality to cover up the shame you must feel over the history of your country. Everywhere you went, you raped, you murdered, and you pillaged. And you didn't just rape adults. There is a disgusting comment that I heard years ago made my stomach absolutely turn. I can't even repeat it. I was going to, but I can't even repeat it. But, there's a guy that I knew, that I worked with, who, uh, ended up being charged with, uh, pedophilia and one day a another friend came to the job um, 
with his with his little girl. She had to be five or six. And her you know, his wife was there and his wife was quite attractive and it was clear that the daughter was taken after her and was probably going to go along that line. And he said some again, it made my stomach turn because he made a statement and but it, it gave me this view into the sickness that exists in the culture. I was going to say it, but I ain't going to, uh-uh. No, couldn't even, couldn't even get it past my lips. It made, still kind of shakes me up a little bit. But, um, when that arrangement fell, Man, think about, think about the pent-up frustration that took place. Now, I believe it's at the beginning of Russell Kirk's book, The Conservative Mind, where he talks about how the coming of civil rights for black folks were going to uh, usher in some sort of social degradation in the society. And he, you know, to his reality, one which men, white men, could do whatever the heck they wanted, and white females were not too far behind. Don't let them play you. I mean, they weren't anywhere free like they are today. Oh, they weren't anywhere free like they are today. But white females had, when it came to black people, and a lot of native indigenous people, and a lot of brown people, there were no men that were before white females. And white females had enough sway to get non-white men killed or at least badly injured. And I do not forget that. Moreover, if, if, if so many white women wanted slavery abolished, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Slavery would have been abolished. It would have been abolished. Because despite what many keep saying they had more power than they wanted to believe that stated throughout the 70s the opening of the door to civil rights for black folks ushered in more rights for white women now I want to tell you something in the 19, what was it, 20s? I think it was 1919, when women got the right to vote. That did not mean black women got the right to vote. Black women did not get the right to vote because they were not considered on par with white women until black people got the right to vote in the 1960s. Presently, with the rolling back of the um, voting rights protections, the community that is being most affected are not black men alone. It is black people. This all must be kept in mind. So throughout the 1970s, those civil rights gains by black people mitigated, mandated almost, mandated almost, the gaining of more rights for white women. Why? Because if black folks got more rights, then white folk got to get more rights, particularly to white women. If black folks could go and work more hours, well, white women had been since the start of World War II working more hours outside of the home, and they were not comfortable being back in a 
you know, uh, what is it, June Cleaver role, basically. And so they were already pushing to go back into the workforce in the 1950s and the late 1940s. And by the time they were done birthing them chillings, many of them, because we forget, in the South, and in, like, the Appalachian area, white women were not sitting home doing nothing. They were working. They were already working. So the people, the, the places that were associated with opening the door to let women in in the 1980s and, uh, excuse me, in the 1970s and the early 1980s, the mid-1980s too, were um, a lot of uh, corporate places. Because just like black women had always been working jobs that some would consider more labor-intensive, maybe, they had always been working as secretaries and in places that folks often think of as or as back then would have been thought of as women jobs. Some of these higher corporate positions were not open to women. And so that's why a show like Mary Tyler Moore show was huge. I didn't even I watched like four episodes of that. <laughs> four episodes. So I'm my whole life. Um As those doors started opening, though, and women started feeling their power, they were not necessarily open to protecting and advancing the power of black men and black women. It is so hilarious to me that the group that has made the biggest strides thanks to the civil rights gains over the last 40 plus years is white women. And it shows. And it shows. And those white women were not busting through doors and saying, hey, we need to bring black folks. No, they weren't. And that shows too. That shows, too, a lot of white women were afraid of black people, particularly black men, but they were afraid of black people, and they thought having too many sisters in the room was as much trouble as having too many black people in general in the room. That's why a lot of places only had one sister, or a sister and a brother, but they worked in different departments, because Lord knows you can't have them collaborating together, because if they collaborate together, they might plot something. Moreover, the gains that they achieved via the civil rights victories of the mid-1960s from the blood, sweat, and tears of black people didn't stop them from voting en masse for wars against the black community. That was Nixon to a lesser extent, Ford, and that was Reagan and Bush. And when Bill Clinton demonstrated the fact that he had no problem beating up black people while also pandering to them for political votes, well, they weren't too afraid to vote for him either. Now, I'm not actually putting him in the same category as Reagan, but I will say up until his death, um, I found a clip a couple of years back of um, it was a news compilation of um, uh, news reports of first Richard Nixon becoming ill and then Richard Nixon's death. And one of the interesting points made in one of those, I think it was ABC or NBC clips, was the fact that Bill Clinton, up until Nixon got sick, talked to Nixon almost every day on the phone. What was that about? 
That still freaks me out. Um, I mean, seriously, that still freaks me out. But it, it didn't stop them from voting GOP. Even though the GOP kept saying, we're coming after abortion. The goal is to get rid of abortion. They were saying that since the 70s. We want to overturn Roe v. Wade. They were saying it and fundraising off of it and running off of it since the 70s. And white women ran there and voted. They loved it. They voted for it. They wanted judges put on the bench that would accomplish it. They voted for George W. Bush, who did not win in 2000 and didn't win in 2004. Did not win either one of them. I know some people want to give George Bush 2004, but I do not. I still believe it was funky. In fact, I kind of still know it was funky. But that's beyond the point right now. Now, yes, they came back and they voted for Obama. I still think there's a psychic thing there where it's like, hey, I'm not, I can't be racist. I voted for a black guy to be president. I mean, but seriously, were y'all really going to vote for John McCain? Come on. John McCain, who was so connected to George W. Bush that SNL made a skit about it. Nobody wanted more Bush. Nobody. So they weren't voting for John McCain. They had to vote for Barack Obama. Voila. Voila. And he was doing such a good job, so you weren't going to vote for Mitt Romney either. Mitt Romney didn't know whether he wanted to be a liberal Republican like his father was or a murderous capitalist like he had been at, you know, Bain, Bain, I don't know. I, uh, every time when I hear, the, you know, his, when I used to hear the name of his company, I'd be like, wasn't there like this evil dude in a cartoon named Bane? I mean, why would you name your, mm, I mean, that just don't, mm-mm. Anyway, it didn't stop them, though, from moving en masse. To vote against Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, did not do herself any kind of favors. TPP, really? Really? I mean, were you trying to lose? <laughs> I still... Oh, my God, let me just let that go. Anyway, because <laughs> that's still just... That grabs my brain and shakes it around. TPP, really, after NAFTA is widely hated. One of the worst mistakes ever made, and you acknowledge, but you want Obama to start putting together TPP so when you get into office, you can, you can sign it? I mean, seriously? Anyway, they went en masse to Trump. Now, because... I was willing to give them a pass. Okay, Hillary Clinton, not that not that good of a candidate, yada, yada, yada. But then they vote in majority for Trump again. And that's when I was like, okay, I see y'all. I see who you are. No more, no more knocking that around. You are who you are. I'm, I believe you. You are who you are. I honor who you are. And now we got to do something about who you are because you're a threat now. That's why I would have I would have left for five minutes. Maybe a little bit longer. Maybe a little bit less. Who knows? But they did it to themselves. They did. To all of the women having problems getting the abortions that you need, you need to look at white women and you need to say, you are fools, you are idiots. You were stupid, though. Because you didn't, just like you haven't for a long time, think it out. There is not one woman 
in this country that does not know at least one person who had an abortion. Guarantee it. You may justify it any way you want. It may have been a medical procedure that was necessary to save the mother's life. So you didn't call it an abortion. It may have been a, a, a procedure done to remove a dead embryo or a dead baby that never came into, you know, was born. But you didn't call it an abortion. It may have been something that somebody went to do over the course of a weekend because they made a stupid mistake and then they came back. They were a little under the weather for a couple of days and then they were fine. It wasn't called an abortion, but everybody knows that's what happened. That little poof on their belly suddenly gone. And you know people who had abortions that you don't even know that they had abortions. Because they didn't tell anybody. Or they told one or two people. I had a friend. Who. Was not well for a couple of weeks. I didn't know why. We were in our early 20s. Then she was good. It's a couple of years later. Watching her hold someone's baby. And she hands the baby back and she gets up and she rushes out the room. And me, being who I am, well, is she okay? So I get up and, hey, you okay? She goes, oh, just, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, babies get me, babies get me, babies get me. Her and her fiance had broken up a year earlier. And I hadn't really pressed, because it's not my business, but I, you know, what happened between you and Jason? Oh, I really don't want to talk about it. Well, I think you do. You look absolutely shattered right now. What happened between you two? Oh, can you just leave it alone? I could. You tell me one more time to go away, and I will. Go away. Okay. Wait. I don't mean it. So you know we were trying to get pregnant. Yeah, I remember you trying to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. I miscarried the first one. It's like, yeah, that was my fault. We went for a hike and I overdid it. And <clears throat> doctor said I was a little dehydrated. So okay, so you know, next time, try it again. So, miscarried again, okay. So, problem with the egg staying attached to my uterus, okay. Third time, though, about two years ago, it worked. I was pregnant. There was a problem with the fetus. We were, we were trying, though. We, we waited. And, um, I had to get an abortion. No, we couldn't keep, well, she said, I couldn't keep him. So it was a him? Yeah, it would have been a him. We were talking about naming him Gerard. I laughed, knowing, you know, Jason. It's like, oh, yeah, it's a basic name. Very basic for a basic name like Jason. You know, he never really got over it because, you know, he doesn't believe in abortions. But the baby wasn't viable, so I made the choice. And he was angry at me for a long time. And that kind of did in the relationship. And, you know. I could have kept him. I could have. But he wouldn't have lived. Like the doctor said, he might have lived a month or two, but he would have probably been in agony most of the time. And why do that? Am I a bad person? I mean, do I, don't I deserve to be happy? Like, yeah. 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 
There are millions of girls, women, walking around like that. You'd never know that they had abortions or procedures. But you didn't think it through. And you figured it wouldn't really impact you because who do you know who has had a uh, procedure? Now, we have a problem here. Y'all have voted for 40 plus years, not only to get rid of Roe v. Wade, but you have voted to put into office consistently people who hate the idea of society and hate the idea of healthy families. And now it's coming back on you. Now it's coming back on you. Think about it. Now it's coming back on you. You're looking around at your towns. Where are the jobs gone? You voted in the people who sent them overseas. Oh, you mean Bill Clinton? No. Mm-mm. Now, d- did Bill Clinton sign NAFTA? Hell yes, he did. Did Bill Clinton run on NAFTA? Yes, he did. But do you know who really wanted NAFTA? Big business and their organizations. They all wanted NAFTA because they hated union power. But not only did they hate union power, which, by the way, by the time they were really pushing NAFTA in the early 90s, union power was declining quickly. No, these people love profits more than you, more than your family, more than your community. And the only way that they could get absolutely maximized out of this world mind-numbing profits is they had to break your community one that means they had to make you desperate to take any job at any price they were willing to give so they moved the high quality jobs offshores and the the, the high quality jobs that they left They sold, and often, you know, it's not like, I I don't want to make this seem like some grand conspiracy that they planned step by step by step by step, because they didn't. But this is how it turned out, because their intent was what it was. As long as your intent is concrete, the, the steps just fall into place. So, the places that were left got bought out by by Bain Capital-like places, evil Wall Street places that hated Main Street, hated community, hated family, hated unions, hated anything that wasn't their psychopathic mentality. And they said, if you want these jobs, great, wonderful, come work for us. But we're only going to pay you a third of what you should be making because we need more money. Well, damn, aren't you making enough money? Never enough. You run around talking about being about family values when the reality is you hate families and you hate communities. You have plotted for the last 50 years to undo Everything that makes families stable, that makes communities stable, that makes this society stable. And now that it is coming back at the last minute to bite you, you want to act like you are surprised. What did you think would happen, white women? Huh? Did you think it was never going to touch you? Criminalizing and brutalizing black people for a for a epidemic of crack cocaine that was flooded into our communities by that white savior with dementia, Ronald Reagan. You never thought it would come back to bite you. But it's funny. 
It was the it was rock cocaine that's white and small that ripped apart the black community and it is opioid drugs, white and small, that is ripping apart your community. And the only thing you have to answer with when you, when you are presented with the absolute fact of your complicity in criminalizing the black community during our epidemic of crack cocaine, but yet the begging, the pleading of governmental funds to save your beautiful children, the only thing you can do is hang your head and say, uh, but, but I mean, I, I, uh, that has nothing to do with now. The whole war on drugs, which your grandparents voted for in the late 60s, in 72, was aimed at destroying the black community. When you voted for more prisons, and should I say, I got even back up, when you voted for more tough on crime legislation with Reagan, it was aimed at our community, a community which his government was flooding with drugs. And then using the excuse of the drugs that he was flooding into our community to come into our community and criminalize our community. He went to you and said, look at what I'm doing with these savages, these animals over here. And you applauded. You applauded so loud, Bill Clinton said, wait, I got to beat up on some black folks and these white people will love me. And he did it. And you flocked to him. But now, when it is your children and your grandbabies, you look and you say, oh, but, but we don't deserve this. Karma, man. You don't deserve it. There was a question during Occupy Wall Street. Why weren't black folks flooding? I've talked about this before, but it needs to be repeated here. Why ain't black folks flood down to Zuccotti Park? Why didn't black folks flood all of these Occupy, uh, occupied places? Because as one wonderful preacher in, uh, I think it was New York City said, where y'all been? This, 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 this reality that you just discovered has been happening. Ooh, white flight is a hell of a drug. Oh, white flight is a hell of a drug. What, are you mad at us? Yes. But not really. I'm not really mad at you. Because I know what mad means. I'm discontented with you. I was listening to a symposium. Ah, it wasn't a symposium. A panel, sorry. I was listening to a symposium, but on something completely different. I was listening to a panel talking about the creation of whiteness. And in the middle of this creation, this white woman made a statement connecting sexism and racism, which completely blew my mind. Because I'm like, there is no hell in the way that you are trying to convince me that white women had it worse than black people. And that white women should be put right alongside black folks when it comes to racism. No hell in the way. None. Zilch. Zero. Don't come running in here spitting on my floor and telling me you are cleaning it. Never that. And by the way, that is not what started me on this episode. I was thinking on the idea of the hope 
that Roe v. Wade is going to drive people, white women specifically, en masse to support the Democratic Party in 2024, even though they ain't do all that in 2022. Yes, some Democrats did win where, you know, it's like, okay, they, the, the Democrats showed some, some nice resiliency. But white women didn't show up like that. I think it's time that y'all recognize white women, for the most part, are going to vote the way they're going to vote. So there are a lot of white women who don't vote, who would vote if they had something to actually vote for. Well, what are these women waiting on? It's not... Roe v. Wade. What they're waiting on is an answer to the question, how do we rebuild our communities and how do we rebuild our families? Now, the interesting thing is black folk have been asking this question for quite some time. Because after crack cocaine, we needed to rebuild our communities and we needed to rebuild our families. A lot of white women despite not wanting to acknowledge it, need black folks because guess what? We've had to rebuild our communities and our families before, and so we may know something about it. But instead of acknowledging the need to follow black folks, they want to kind of get in under the radar and be like, yo, but we the same, sexism, racism, ha, 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 ha. As I've said before, and I'll say it again here, sexism is a cultural choice among other Europeans. That is not my concern. It is my concern when it touches black, brown, and all other non-white females. Outside of that, you fight your own man for your position in your hierarchy. That ain't my concern. No, no, no. Oh, but, but... Dr. King said an injustice ever. Yes, Dr. King did say that. Dr. King did say that. You're right. But I'm bypassing this one. Because when black people were being lynched, white women were right there with it. When black people were having their bodies photographed, hung in the trees, there's a lot of white women right there with them. And there were some that were just off to the side. No, here's where I'm coming from here, y'all. And here's why I'm talking this way about this. I know of a few white women who I consider amazing, not only Forget about allies because in the European context, an ally isn't stable. An ally changes with the wind. They are solidaires. They will go to battle and war with me because they know what we've been through and what is owed based on the history that many white women have participated in. And they know that the reason I'm not stepping up to go to war with their man is because that ain't my fight. And I got too many battles over here to fight. Including with a lot of white women that look just like them. They also know that when my battle is won, so won't theirs. They ain't going to ask me to come in battle with one person for one measly victory which I cannot benefit from but when I'm done over here just like in the 1960s white women and homosexuals benefited greatly from the civil rights work that black people themselves fought for white homosexuals especially benefited greatly from the work that we did and that is often forgotten it is often covered up We opened doors, and for the we opened, excuse me, doors, and for the last fifty plus years, 
white women have been working to undo the doorways that we not only open, we didn't just crack them open, man, we we glued them things open, tied them things open, we 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 soldered those things open, and they have been working overtime to undo it, and now that they have succeeded in undoing the work that it took us years to do, now they want to cry victim. No. They're taking away my rights. Yeah, they took away your rights, you dummy, because you told them to, and you kept voting them in and telling them, please take away everything I have, and now they have. And now you want me to feel sorry for you. No, I'm not. Oh, and now you want me to suit up to go back and battle for the rights that you have been plotting with these people who look just like you. You have been plotting with them now for 50 years to take back from you. And now you want me to go back into the ring and fight a fight that shouldn't need to be fought. But it does need to be fought now because... You gave them the power to do these things. I am telling you all right now. There is a large contingent of white women who are dedicated to keeping us from fighting the fights that are going to actually free this society. And while, yes, I have powerful reservations about the ability of us to defeat them because we are arguing about some of this stuff, I believe that we will defeat them. And we'll defeat them because ultimately we are right. But here's what must be said and here's what must be accepted. If civil rights... The civil rights that black folks fought for, which have been slowly chipped away over the last 50 years, 60 years technically, but 50 years definitely. If that is not the forefront of what is to be accomplished, nothing else will matter. Because the moment that you reinstate Roe v. Wade, they will come after it again using using language that they comb from the civil rights cases that they have fought and won. Y'all better recognize. Because at the end of the day, they have white women, many, many white women on their side that are willing to fool you into believing that they're on your side and they ain't. And they will use what they learn by pretending they're on your side to actually take you down and defeat you. Y'all better heed this warning. Know who your friends are and know why they are there. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to write to me and tell me I'm in thing, <laughs> uh, please be my guest. It's all good. I ain't going to be mad at you for telling me that I have, um, as uh, Jacqueline Babalora said, you know, uh, this black man that she knows has uh, uh, patriarchy problems. Please, please. Black folks are just getting out of, the, uh, out of a 35-year assault, which has been executed uh, uh, against black men, putting us in prison, criminalizing us, taking like two, two to four million of us off the voter rolls based on felony convictions in a lot of states. We have been crippled economically because of that war against us. And you want to talk to me about black patriarchy? If you want to talk to me about negative views against black women within the black community and negative views against black men when it comes to black women in the black community, okay, fine. However, I would probably say stay in your lane and don't get involved in something that you don't really understand. But if you want to talk about that, fine, we can talk about it. 
black folks have picked up some very negative traits from dealing with y'all stuff. But don't talk to me about no dang black patriarchy. What are you talking about? Anyway. That's the kind of night it's been. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you know you can always reach out to me. I love hearing from you. I am your brother, Vimeo Deets. If you want to support the work that I'm doing, some of you just said, hell no, whatever. If you if you want to support the work that I'm doing, CWB Podcast, CWB Podcast, CWB Podcast. You get me up on Cash App, throw a dollar sign in front of it, CWB Cash War Battlefield Podcast, CWB Podcast. Uh, podcast, throw a dollar sign in front of it for Cash App, and then CWB Podcast PayPal it. I love hearing from y'all. Big up to Dr. Obdashaka. Big up to Black Power Media. To Professional Left Podcast. To Tom Hartman. To Brad Friedman. To Brad Cass, him and Desi. To um, the late Glenn Ford, Black, uh, Black Agenda Report. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but just, you know, big up to all y'all. Again, I'm Vimeo Diesel Gaia. Until the next one, y'all. Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who send the guns to the wars that are fought in places where their business interest runs on the radio talk shows and the TV you hear one thing again and again how the USA stands for freedom and we come to the aid of a friend but who are the ones that we call our friends these governments killing their own or the people who finally can't take anymore and they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone and there are